you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, would you like to turn to Philippians chapter 1 and we'll be reading from verses 1 through to 11 and the reading will be on the screen also. So Philippians chapter 1 starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about, sorry, all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in Christ, in God's grace with me. God can testify how, long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. It's good to be back. Good to be able to share God's word with you. Good to be able to tell you a little bit about a church. A church like any other church, except this was a church perhaps that probably shouldn't have happened. You know, in this life, we'll probably go through and we'll be seeking answers to questions and we'll be looking, we'll be asking, we'll be seeking and then we'll be knocking. And boy, do we hope the doors open. Because after you've done a lot of asking and after you've done a lot of seeking, you really do enjoy it when the doors open. The story of the church in Philippi starts with Paul and Silas, two men sent out from the church at Antioch to go and preached the gospel and off they went and they were on a mission yes it was indeed God's mission to them and for them so Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke are now in this place called Philippi and the first thing that Paul remembers is that usually there's groups of people and these people will meet outside of town and they'll meet in a place called a place of prayer that place of prayer a group of people, one of them was a lady called Lydia. And what had they been praying about? Well, I believe God answered their prayers when Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke arrived. And the next thing they found out, they have come with the good news. They've come with a message of good news from God. And there they were. There it was. This was the basis for the first church at Philippi. And things were going pretty well. And as they were continuing to journey with these folk, um, Lydia invited them into their house. And so I believe the first church started in Lydia's house in the place called Philippi. And Paul and Silas were doing well and they were just enjoying the fellowship of one another. And then as they were going off and preaching, the next thing is they hear this young girl who had been possessed by a spirit, and the spirit is the spirit of Python. Actually, one day if you go digging down a little bit deeper into this this woman, this young girl, had been used to actually do a fortune-telling business. And the people who owned her 
were making a great business out of it. As they were going along, preaching and teaching, this young woman kept saying, listen to these guys, they're going to teach you the way, listen to these guys. Now Paul recognized that this is something not quite right. And so he turns around basically and says to the spirit within her, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. That's bad for business. Paul and Silas are not welcome anymore. As a matter of fact, everybody gets pretty excited about what's just happened now. They should have been really overjoyed that a woman has been delivered of a spirit, a spirit of uh, an evil spirit. But no, they get flogged, they get beaten, they get put in prison. What a way to go. You see that word up there? It's called despair. It's, you reach a point where you believe you've done everything that God wants you to do, and it's not happening. Despair. What does despair mean? It means that you've lost hope. There is no more hope. When you are in prison, when your feet are in stocks and you've been beaten and, and flogged and all the rest of it, it's a pretty good place to say, I'm in despair right now. But have you noticed that even despair, like in Psalm 40, can tell us here that he lifted me out of the pit of despair? When you are in that place of despair, there is a way out. There's a way up. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. So look at those letters, D-E-S-P-A-I-R. And if you can actually sort of see that the exact same letters actually are the words in praised. So even as Paul praised, he and Silas were praising God in this prison. They were singing hymns. They were praying and praising God. As they praised, despair slipped back into the pit as they praised. Those are your two words you're going to have to try and remember. When in despair, remember praise. Remember praise. So, here we are in the prison. And the next thing is, in answer to their prayer, well, the place starts shaking. God arrives. The doors open. The chains fall, fall off everybody. And the next part of the church grows again. And it comes, comes through the jailer. And the jailer says, I'm so sorry. What can I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas tell him, we'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household and you will be saved. He says, that's me. I'm done. Tell me more. And Paul and Silas were invited into the prisoner's house and he looked after them. So here we've got the basis of a lady called Lydia and her friends. We've got a young girl probably who would have come to join them who've been de uh, demon-possessed. And we've got a jailer and his whole family as well. That's a pretty good start to any church, you would say. And everybody shakes their heads. In the <laughs> how does God do these things? How does God actually orchestrate such a thing? And how does God, in the midst of all this, when Paul and Silas are full of despair, no doubt, as to be doing all the right things and look where it's landed us, there's praise in their lips, there's praise in their hearts. So this letter starts off with Paul and Timothy servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons it's written from another prison it's written from a prison in Rome I believe how does Paul carry on doing what he did only because he must have known that if you really want to go on mission for God you've got to expect the unexpected you've got to go where nobody else wants to go perhaps I mean, ideally, who goes now and um, has a mission to prisons? There has been and there is such a thing. 
as emissions into prisons, places like that. But these are the sort of areas that not everybody wants to go to. But guess what? They're places now of ministry, even in a prison. So here's Paul and Silas and Paul and Timothy, and they've carried on. And here they are again, back in a prison. And what are they doing? Paul is writing a letter. When you're in prison, you've probably got a lot of time to think about life. Matter of fact, you've got a lot of time to think about life, usually. And life will start to take on a whole sort of new perspective, perhaps, when you think, well, this is the way it used to be. Gee, it would be nice to have the good old days back again. And you can slip into that place of despair again. But in this place, there is a lesson being learned. And I want you just to remember that there's two people involved here, Paul and Timothy, Eugene Peterson, in his introduction to the Philippians, says this is Paul's happiest letter. Go figure, he's in a prison. And happiness is infectious. Before we've read a dozen lines, we begin to feel that happiness. But what is he saying? Happiness is not a word we can understand by looking it up in the dictionary. In fact, none of the qualities of the Christian life can be learned out of a book. Something more, like an apprenticeship, is required. And this is where Timothy comes in. So here's the question. You're going through troubled times. You do need support. Who are you reaching out to? Who's walking alongside you? And if you're the person, perhaps, and you can see somebody who's going through tough times or is in a prison of their own, are you reaching out? Are you walking alongside? Because as you do, what happens here is an apprentice requires skill, acquires skill by daily and intimate association with the master. We can learn from one another. And this is what was happening here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, learning of one another, supporting one another. He goes on to say, when you're with a master, you pick up subtle but absolutely essential things such as timing and rhythm and touch. You know, Eugene Peterson's a pretty deep thinker, but timing, yes, in a prison, it's an unusual sort of place for timing, but the rhythm... And God does work through rhythm. He works through seasons. And you will find that Paul, oftentimes, like it was here, when him and his companions, they were going, and it was going full steam. It was going well. But the rhythms of God always sort of say, okay, slow down again. It's nice to be full of activity, but slow down again. And the next thing is, as you slow down, you start to touch, and you start to feel, and you start to become very aware that this is God's rhythm, this is God's timing, slow down, in other words, smell the roses, that type of thing. I think sometimes we just get too busy in God's economy and he says, no, that's not the way I wanted it from you. So as we read what Paul wrote to these believers in the set of Philippi, we find ourselves in the company of just such a master. It says here, Paul doesn't tell us that we can be happy or how to be happy. He simply and unmistakably is happy. And none of his circumstances contribute to his joy he was writing from a jail cell. So what does Paul tell us here? Happiness is not a word that can understand by looking it up in the dictionary. I think that's quite amazing because we're having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. He said, so what is happiness? And I said, yeah, it is must one of those things that you don't know how to really get it. You can't buy it. You can't bottle it up. You can't find it in a book. But most people are looking for happiness. And they think by acquiring things it'll make them happy and half the time you hear about it, it's not happening. You can have it all and still not be happy. So is it a gift from God? Is it a sense of knowing? Is it an attitude? 
I would say it's an attitude. You can choose to have that sense of, yes, this is good, and I understand it may not be circumstantially good, but it is okay because God's in this as well with me. Something more like an apprenticeship. It's you and God working together. So you pick up the subtle and absolutely essential things such as timing and rhythm and touch. That's what God's teaching here. And you would think Paul, a man of God like he was, he knew it all. He had all the knowledge. But you know what's going on here? As Paul's writing, let me read it. I thank my God every time I remember you. So where does that start? Remembering is all up here. He remembers. And what does he remember? He remembers the good things. There was a psalmist, David, who said in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. There's an attitude there. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. David wrote that psalm from a deep, dark place as well. How does he do that? It's an attitude. And that attitude starts to reflect a determination. And when you get that right attitude and you say, no, this is not going to overcome me. I may be sitting in a prison right now, but I will not be held down. That's determination to rejoice regardless of the situation. Psalmist goes on, David says, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice and be glad. In other words, when it starts happening down deep within, you know this is for real. That's when it really is a heartfelt thing. He says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Praise begins with this attitude that we are determined to act on it. Praise. Interesting word. Eh? It comes from a word called halal. Who remembers the word hallelujah? It means praise God. Hallelujah. Halal. You know, oftentimes I look through these words and I go back and I have a look and see, so when's the first time the word praise was used in the Bible in the Old Testament particularly? Because halal is an Old Testament word. And it actually, you'd think the first time that the word praise was used would be glorify God. No. And here's one for the ladies. One for the ladies. Yes, Genesis chapter 12 verse 15. It's before Abraham and Sarah were given their new names. They used to be called Abram and Sarai. Now, they are in the promised land. Things aren't going too well in the promised land because there's a drought. Abram descends to Sarai. Let's go down to Egypt. I believe it may be better for us there. And as we're going along, Abram starts to think, hang on a moment. When we get there, what's going to happen? And he says to Sarai, you are a beautiful woman. I think most ladies would like to hear those words. And guess what? Abraham says, I think what we do is, you don't tell anybody I'm your husband, because if they know I'm your husband, they don't mind killing me and just taking you away. But if I'm your brother, this could work. So off they go, down to Egypt. And along comes Abram and Sarai. Beautiful Sarai. Praise is the word. Halal. It's a word that also means shine. I don't know. There's a whole lot of connotations going on here. That when we praise, you can't praise God in your mouth down there because that don't work too well. So a little bit of a shine on the face is probably an indication that, yes, your heart's in the right place as well. Anyway, they get down to Egypt and everybody's looking at Sarai and um, they're thinking, whoa, stunner. And they rush off to Pharaoh, do these Egyptians, and say, this woman is very beautiful. 
In other words, she's got an abundant shine coming out of her. Now, there comes a time when Abram probably should have gone for his eyes to be checked because Abram said she's beautiful and these people are saying she is very beautiful. You know the Specsaver one? Time to go to Specsaver. But it's nice that Abram at least recognized that she was beautiful, but she was beyond beautiful. She was abundantly beautiful. And those are the words that we try to express that God, you're just too much to even explain or try to, you know, to talk about. God is beyond knowing. God is beyond beauty. God just shows us a little glimpse of what's going on in his life, in the lives there. So that's beauty. It's seen in God's nature. It's seen in God's creation. It's seen in each one of our faces. You are all beautiful, by the way. Even if your name's not Sarai, you are. Trust me on that one. So here, Paul was talking about, I remember you. And in my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I always pray with joy. There's five words you can remember when things aren't going too well. I always pray with joy. Easy to remember, not easy to do. Because of your partnership with me in the gospel, you know, they're talking about fellowship and partnership. Well, the, the whole idea of these Philippians was that they were joining. They were part of this thing. They knew that Paul had sacrificed a lot to get there and they wanted to join him on this mission. They were going to be partners and they were happy to send him and Silas off again and Timothy and Luke as well because now they're going to be partners in this thing. And that's why Paul, after all this time, and we don't really know how long between the time of his being in Philippi and the time that he actually took then to write this letter, but it must have been a while, possibly months, maybe a year, but he says, being confident of this, that yes, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. So you see where it's coming from. He remembers in his mind, and as he's thinking about it, the good things that came out of Philippi. Good things? The guy was put in prison. But yes, there were good things. There were people whose lives were affected. They are the good things that he remembers. And it touches his heart. And he said, oh, wow, it was all been worth it. Can you say that it's all been worth it? The tough times that God's put you through? As he goes on to talk about it, he says, Is it right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart? For whether I'm in chains or, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. For those who love digging into words, look up affection in this Greek Bible, which some people may have, and you'll find a word that's not too pleasant. So we've gone from the head, we're down to the heart. The next thing is it's right down in our stomachs. I don't know what sort of feelings you get in your stomach. Maybe you had a rough breakfast or something, but sometimes it's more feelings of what's going on down there. I don't know how it goes from your head to your heart into your stomach, but whatever it was Paul was saying here, out of his stomach there were affections out of his inward parts it talks about and he talks about this is the place of empathy this is the place of sympathy this is a place from deep down within where actually I connect with you in such a deeper level and you thought the heart was good well wait till it hits your stomach and you sort of some people may remember what it was like the first time that they looked into somebody else's eyes and they just sort of like did something called butterflies you remember those things yeah yeah they can still happen 
there's something going on. There's something going on here. And he talks about that these are deep emotions, so deep, that when he thinks about it, he just goes, I don't know what the feeling is, but it's somewhere deep down inside. And this is not a song that the Black Eyed Peas sang a while ago, but they did do a pretty good job with I Got a Feeling. And somewhere along the way, if you can get that feeling back again from God, you know that you are connecting. You are one with God again. So what is this feeling and what does it result in? This is my prayer. This is how Paul now remembers, and he's praying, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How does Paul pray? Those five words, I always pray with joy. And what happens when he starts to think that way? And this is what we need to start to look into our lives as well. We can pray this prayer for ourselves as well. A prayer from the heart. A prayer that asks great things of God for those around us, within our church, within our neighborhood. Great things that God can do. And when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, there will be this overflow there will be some of an abundance and there will be something of more and more in knowledge. And then you'll love your neighbor as you love yourself as well because suddenly you're able to discern what is best, what is pure, the things that others need, perhaps you need as well. But first, others. That was Paul. Always thinking about others. I don't know how he did that right. But somehow, even in the depths of everything happening, there's always others filled with the fruit of righteousness and there comes again the fruit of righteousness the love, the joy and the peace Paul's in prison but he's got peace in his heart to be able to say I'm thinking of you guys thank you for joining with me in this one fruit produces this partnership with Jesus so here's the prayer in a little nutshell I have to read this something to you before I tell you that I got a newsletter from a guy of which some people may know and I look in the front row here, Bruce Kelly you may have come across Bruce Bruce is in his 80s now about 15 years ago or more I met him for the first time so he would have been in his mid 60s that's where he, he started finding a new lease on life as it were he came back being a pastor for a while and he starts what, what was called a multicultural ministry in Melbourne and I have to just read this to you this multicultural ministry in Melbourne has taught me to communicate biblical truth in ways understandable and relevant to those of other religions and cultures. So I used to sit on the steps um, at Fed Square and he used to spot tourists particularly and he would engage with them and say, welcome to the city of Melbourne and what are you doing here? And he used to have tracts, Bible tracts or, or things of about probably 20 different languages and oftentimes people would come from overseas and he would give them something in their own language and they would like say, wow, I've travelled around the world and here I'm getting a piece of God's word in my own language. A lovely ministry. He says, during my previous 15 years of street ministry, I've shared through literature and testimony with individuals rather than crowds. I've seen Korean, Chinese, Indian, Dutch, and he goes on, and some have become Christians and then some have even returned to their homelands with God's word in their hand. 
I just love God at work. He'll bring them from all over the world to come and sit on the steps at Fed Square in Melbourne and, and Bruce would sort of spy them out and say, all right, this is God. This is God's meeting. And I had that same sort of scenario with Paul. He would have gone out looking to see where is God at work. I want to join God at work and I want to be prepared. And that's one thing Bruce has been doing. He's always prepared. He's got God's word and he's happy to share whatever he's got available. But here it is. These people, after the 15 years of what Bruce has been doing, he says they are an encouraging book of memories. I like that. They're an encouraging book of memories, keeping my heart singing during disillusionment and disappointment. Can we say that of one another? We are an encouraging book of memories, keeping my heart singing during disillusionment and disappointment. Even people like Bruce get disillusioned and get disappointed but the memories stay on and do not fade. And so here it is. Have you read these by now? This is my prayer. To grow in love, to make wise decisions, do the right thing, live for God's glory. You got a few minutes? Keep your eyes open. Pray for yourselves. Ask God, would you help me to grow in love? Would you help me make wise decisions? Will you help me do the right thing and will you help me to live for God's glory? Let's bow together and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for inviting us into this place. We thank you for each one who's come in through these doors that they know that they're most welcome into your presence, into our presence, into the presence of the Spirit of God who bids us to join in prayer. And praying is asking, praying is seeking. Praying is knocking on the door and asking, Lord, would you help us? Would you help each one of us just to understand what love is all about? Particularly when love has not always been what we thought it would be about. Thank you, Lord God, for again revealing that we are your beloved. And we thank you for just giving us again that joy of our salvation, the joy of knowing you, the joy of serving you, the joy of going where you want us to go, Lord, even though it may not look like the place that we can find fulfillment in and find your peace in. But, Lord, when we reach that place, we thank you that you will again reveal. Because we're looking for you, Lord, to, to again give us discernment in making wise decisions regarding life and the way we live it. Oh, Lord, we just know that there's so many temptations out there to take us from the truth and take us from the way that you want us to walk. And so, Lord, we really just do pray that you will guide our thinking. We want to love you more. We want to serve you more. We want to give you glory, O oh God, for all that you've done for us and will do in this day and forevermore because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.